0: The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It can be found on page 2 in the Black Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The word of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. Thanks Michelle and Chris. You know, this season is fun, right? Advent's a fun season. Lots of great stuff going on. I love Advent. Um, you know, spiritually, as you know, in the context of the church, Advent is meant to uh, sort of for us to, to re-enter again into the life of what Jesus has done. Re-enter the history of redemption. And, we're, and Advent is that season where it's like being in the Older Testament where we know all the promises and we're anticipating what God will do and we're waiting for the Messiah. You know, it's during, you know we remember as a people... That the world's out of sorts. You don't have to argue that point very much. Things are not as they're supposed to be. Why is that? Well, God promises that he'll send a king who's even able to sort out that. To bring reconciliation. To bring restoration. That one day the king will come. The angel appears to Mary. Says to her, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a long time. His kingdom will never end. And so the the coming of this child, it's massive. It's a big deal. The ruler has finally come. The king that was promised is finally here. You know, Advent is about that season where we remember that the promise of the father working through the Christ child, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does something so magnificent that it's meant to be the center of our lives. The very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to center ourselves on it. And and Advent is supposed to be that season where it feels that cosmically significant. But oftentimes it doesn't. Like sometimes Advent isn't always fun, right? I was reading on Reddit the top ten things that people hate most about Advent, okay? I'll just read you a couple of them. One of them was buying and finding the right gifts. I mean, that's like serious first world issues, but like, you know, problems whatever. But yeah, I get it. Like, I am not good at buying gifts. I'm so bad at it that I'll end up buying Jamie the same pair of jeans, like, or the same shirt, or the same Kendra Scott earrings. I'm like, oh, I got this color. She's like, I love it. It's another pair. I have two kinds, you know, two same ones. Whatever it is. For students... You think of December, and you think of finals, like all your exams you get to take. That's probably not very exciting for you. Maybe it is. Probably not, though. Christmas jingles, those songs that are going to haunt you at night now until after probably two weeks into January. Awkward family gatherings, another Reddit favorite. And then this, um, which I can identify with, finding parking spots. You know, it becomes so difficult to find a good parking spot in this season because everyone's out shopping. And yet the scriptures call us to think about this season, this idea of Advent, in such a way that we calibrate our lives to it. That's what the Advent candle is all about, right? The prophet's candle, it symbolizes hope. For Adam and Eve, um, they are confused by hoping in a lie. And we're going to talk a lot about that lie this morning. But hope is actually, we're meant to be centered on a lasting hope. The Bethlehem candle, symbolizing faith. For Adam and Eve, they're misdirected. And they trust in something other than God's love rather than in what God says. The shepherd's candle, symbolizing joy for Adam and Eve. They're happy, and then their joy is absolutely compromised by not trusting in who God is, and they're ashamed. The angel's candle, symbolizing peace. It's God's desire for you to have peace with one another, with Himself. God desires peace. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they do not experience peace any longer in the context of their marriage or their friendship or with their God or creation. They've introduced chaos. And then the Christ candle, the center candle where Christ comes and says, it is finished. The Christ child is born, the Messiah is here and it transforms everything. This entire book is about the story of Christ coming to dwell among us to to redeem us. Jesus himself says to the disciples in the Gospel of Luke, when they can't even recognize him, How foolish you are, how slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. This is about what Jesus has done. What he's doing. Genesis chapter 3, there's actually there's a couple different things in there that, that really give a forecasting of who Jesus is in some pretty special ways if you haven't really thought about it before. Probably one of the most important themes throughout the scriptures is this, hope. You are made for a lasting hope. You hope in something. There is something that you're looking to to give you comfort, peace, security. There's something you hope in. And if you're like, well, not really, you're in bad shape because you don't even know yourself at all. We all hope in something. There's something that if you found out you weren't going to have tomorrow, you'd be greatly disappointed and it may be a good thing. But we all hope in something and the irony is is that Adam and Eve are placed in a situation where they put their hope in a tree and that hope lies to them and it destroys them and it breaks them in the face of being given hope by their God saying, here's everything for you hope in this they choose something else they believe the lie advent is a season it's a good season for us to ask the question about what lies am i hoping in hoping hoping in look I'm one of your pastors i hope in all sorts of lies whether it's approval from somebody or age or whatever it is we're in a constant process of repentance saying god teach me to hope in something that's lasting something that's sure Something that's eternal. Something that really matters. The song that Joe sang. It's a song we're going to be hearing throughout this um, Advent season by the Grey Havens called That Last the King. It's a great song. Like If you're, like, you're thinking about an, some Advent songs to listen to, that's a really good one to put on your list. But let me read you one of the lines in there. It says this, You've deceived and lied. My child has gone into exile. I will go and make a way home. I will bleed like the enemy. The God of heaven and earth says to us, He will do whatever it takes to bring restoration to what has happened with Adam and Eve in this moment that we read about in Genesis. Even if it means He's going to bleed. And He does, and He's willing for our sakes. No one loves you this well. We try, that's true, and it's good. But the God of heaven and earth loves you in a way that is incomparable. And it is yours by grace and through faith. So, the main idea this morning I want to hit is is the hope that Jesus offers as king really big enough? Like, is it really big enough in the moments that really matter? You know, this is a season, you're just coming off Thanksgiving. For some of you, it was really awkward and sad because maybe you miss somebody who's died and you don't get to celebrate it with them, or, you know, there was family stuff or whatever it was. For some of you, it was great, and that's wonderful. But in those hard moments, it is important for you to know. It is necessary for you to know. God intends for you to know that he has a hope for you in Christ that is able to sustain you. Okay, let me get going here. Um, So first, to get started, looking more closely at Genesis chapter 3, people ask all sorts of questions about the book of Genesis. Like, is it real? Is it true? Yes, it is. God has given us the book of Genesis to shape how we think about creation. God made it. It was good. The mountains are grand, the oceans are deep, because God is both grand and deep. Creation is infinitely small, it is infinitely large, because God is infinite. God makes all things, and they're at peace, and they're good. And yet the world we live in has a lot of war in it. It's lacking a lot of peace in our families, in our different countries, You know, my wife and son are on an exchange program right now. They're going to South Korea and China. I'm, like, terrified. It's probably, you know, unfounded in a lot of ways. But I just worry about being near them because I can't protect them. We live in a place where there's difficulty. Why is that there? The book of Genesis has some very profound things to say about the reality of sin, its destruction, uh, the destruction it causes, and God's answer to it. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates all things. He speaks and he makes it. The scriptures say in the space of 24 days, God made all things and it was good. We read that he makes a world where there's no scars and there's no damage. It's complete. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read that Adam and Eve are created and they're together and they are naked and they're not ashamed. Adam and Eve have a relationship where there's no space for shame. There's no manipulation. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no former failures. There's no wounds. They are at peace with one another. They're unashamed, unafraid, completely at, in a place of, of being able to satisfy one another. No anxiety It's just good. Or to put it this way, Adam and Eve really got each other. I really got each other. And I don't know if you heard about this story, but from last month, did y'all hear about Charlotte and John who live outside of Austin? One's 106, John's 106, Charlotte's 105, and they got married in 1939 uh, during the Great Depression. They both went to the University of Texas in Austin, which makes sense to me. And um, he is actually the oldest... he's the oldest living former University of Texas football player alive today, all right? They celebrated 80 years of marriage last month. This is incredible. Many lifetimes, I mean, 80 years, that's amazing. And he was asked, they said, okay, John, what is the secret to this? And this is what he says, live life in moderation and be cordial to your wife. Now, I know that doesn't really translate in some ways. Like, if I go to my wife and say, I just want to be so cordial. It doesn't work, right? But cordial means to be warm and friendly. It means to consider the needs and the welfare and the experiences and the desires of the other as greater than your own. To be truly cordial. And in the midst of that, John and Charlotte have experienced 80 years of marriage. It's something incredible. You know, as wonderful as that is, Adam and Eve had even something more pure. Absolute friendship and care for each other it was good and god gives them the whole garden of eden to live in it's a beautiful place just amazing and they're there and they've been given the trees and they have food and they have one another they have they have a relationship with their god that you and i can barely like get our minds wrapped around and yet we try to and it's good and god says here's the thing there's one thing i want you not to do i just please don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the of the garden because when you do you'll die. It's not that I'm being selfish, it's that I'm warning you. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will kill you. Now this kind of this isn't that hard to understand. If you think about mercury mercury like liquid silver, you ever play you ever seen that stuff like roll around on a desk or they power thermometer you know they're in thermometers and barometers and fluorescent lights. They're great for so many things. Please do not drink a bowl of mercury. It will make you ill, you'll die. It has its purpose, a very specific purpose that we use it for. But if you use it in ways that's not intended, it will destroy you. God is giving Adam and Eve this opportunity with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying to them, look, you can climb on this. You can probably throw fruit at each other. You can do all sorts of stuff. But please don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you do, you will surely die. Okay, then Genesis 3. Verse 1, the serpent approaches Eve and says, did he actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve starts out right. She says, well, we can eat from any tree, just not that one. But then she adds to God's law and says, neither shall we touch it. Neither shall you touch it. Now this is, this is good. Anytime you add to God's law, you're, you're missing the boat. This is where the Pharisees struggled. It's where many of you know us and even in American Christianity, we struggle. Like, we all understand that people are Christians, but like if you're not doing these five or six things, you're not really a Christian. Or you're not, you know, you can't be a Christian and do this, or you can't be a Christian and do that. Actually, Eve adds something here. You can have the fruit, God says, but you can't eat it. Don't eat from it. He doesn't say don't touch it. And yet Eve. Eve says that, she adds it, and she's probably thinking that it's dangerous in every way. And so then the serpent responds and says, actually, no, that's not true. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve is there, she's thinking to herself, the tree does look good to eat, it's pretty. Um, I'm going to try it, I want to be wise, the serpent says, my eyes will be opened, Now, you should be recognizing metaphors here, right? She's not walking around the garden with her eyes closed. He's saying your eyes will be opened, like you will understand things in a way you don't understand them now. You will be the discerner of good and evil in a way you are not now. God says this is bad. You want to say it's good, and so you'll be the one who determines if it's good or not, and we'll see what happens. And so then she eats from it and she gives it to Adam. Then we see both Adam and Eve, their eyes were opened. They saw what the fruit actually did. And they experienced what God said they would experience. They did not experience in full what the serpent had said they would experience. God said, This fruit will not be good for you. They experienced shame for eating it. The serpent said, The fruit will be good for you. They realized his words were thin and veiled, full of lies and deceit. Now, chaos and difficulty and pain and sin in particular has entered the world and the relationship and it's fracturing things. Like when you step on ice and it begins to shatter. They're fracturing. Their their hearts are fracturing. Their relationship's fracturing. Then verses 8 to 13, Adam and Eve have to face the Lord. They hear him walking in the garden. You know, God the Father does not have a body as we do. God the Spirit does not have a body as we do. They hear leaves cracking, branches uh, being walked upon. They hear something walking through the garden. It's the presence of the Lord. It's a picture of who Jesus is. It's an embodied presence of God. Jesus is walking through the garden and calls out to them, and says, where are you? God is inviting them out to commune with him. He knows where they are. And their response is to hide because of their sin. They make a mistake. It's like when children do something they're not supposed to do. Like I remember eating all the cookies that we weren't supposed to eat for Christmas. Like my mom would cook them. My brother and I would eat them almost as fast as she could cook them. And as soon as she realized it, we'd run and hide. We don't want to face the reality of what's happened in the relationship because we've done something wrong. Adam and Eve are hiding from God. And what does God do? He says, come into my presence. Come here. Come here. Let's talk. He invites them in to be reconciled to acknowledge what's happened. He doesn't want them to live in a state, which is what they're doing now, in separation from him. Yes, they're broken by sin, but what do they do with their sin? What do they do? They run off and hide. It creates division in their relationship. It's fracturing their very relationship with their creator. And God reveals his love to them in this. Even when you sin, even when you're my enemy, even when you do exactly what I tell you not to do, that is not going to define our relationship. Come here. Let's be reconciled. It's why we confess our sins every week at Christ the King. It is not God's desire for us to not exist with reconciliation with one another or with him. He desires peace. You probably got some things you need to work out in your family this week. We all do. I felt that special pressure as Walker and Jamie were heading off to South Korea and China. I was like, okay, I gotta make sure like we're good. Like, I, just, I love them and I wanna, I'm not gonna see them a lot. We're not meant for that kind of tension in our relationship. We're meant for peace. And God offers a hope here that is able to actually bring it. Adam finally answers the Lord, telling him that he ate from the tree. He says, hey, yeah, I ate from the tree. Eve gave it to me. And you know what he's doing. He's blame shifting. He's saying, okay, I get it. I ate from the tree, but you made Eve. She gave me the fruit. So like maybe 50-50 here, 80-20, like we're both guilty. You did this. Eve says, yes, I ate from the tree. The serpent deceived me. You know, you made the serpent, so, I mean, there's enough blame to go around here for all of us. Blame shifting, lying, manipulating, judgment, deceit now characterizes their friendship with one another and with God. That's the fruit that they now have. They're beginning to realize they've believed in a lie. Adam and Eve discover that going about their life on their own way on their own terms, according to their own thoughts, has led to a place where when when they're saying what's good and they do what they think is best, it leads into a place where there's fractures in their relationships and a fracture in the relationship with God. But when they were going God's ways before the fall, before they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was peaceful and good. God's ways lead to this. Their ways lead to that. God had given them kind of like a map this is what I expect from you. It's what the word is for us. It's meant to direct us. You know, I don't know how many of you are going to go snowboarding and skiing this year. Maybe none of you. Know, I'm sure some of you are. But when you go snowboarding and skiing, they give you a trail map. And the trail maps are important, especially if you're new to the mountain. Because if you go off those trail maps, the first sign you're going to see is boundary marker. Resort ends. Go no further. And then you're going to see signs like this. Warning. Avalanche is possible. Avalanche is possible. And you may even hear some cannons going off as they're trying to knock down some of the snow. Then you'll see things like unmarked obstacles. And that's not referring to buried treasure. There are cliffs and there are rocks and there are holes in the rocks and crevices that you can slip into. The people who made the trail map know that this is the space where you will thrive today. Be here. This is is the good place for you. Here's what I have for you. Don't go over there. Be here. God is inviting us through his word To live under his care because he is trustworthy. Because we can hope in him and he's not a liar. He doesn't intend to deceive you. You may not understand what's going on. It may lead you to a place of great pain and agony. But always remember, Christ's death on the cross leads to the resurrection. That's where it leads. God's promise to us is that he's leading us to a place of goodness. Adam and Eve's relationship is fractured. They doubt each other. They blame each other. They throw each other under the bus. They betray one another. It's going to be difficult for their relationship to thrive with this much junk in the middle. Their relationship with Jesus is fractured. They hide from him. They question his motives. They're questioning God's motives. They argue with him. They no longer believe that he has their best in mind. And so now what are they? Isolated. Hopeless. They can only hope in what they can surmise and figure out. And how's that going for them? Not good. Adam and Eve had put their hope in a lie instead of hoping in the hope giver. And as a result, they fractured everything. Now, if I were to ask you the question of where are the fractures in your life, how would you answer it? Where, what are the physical fractures? You know, I've got a broken wrist that's probably never going to heal. It keeps breaking. I keep doing stuff and it keeps breaking. What are your emotional fractures? Maybe there's places of great damage. Or your spiritual fractures where you're doubting God. Or he he hasn't answered this question about maybe why your child's ill. Or why someone you love is in danger. Or why he's allowed this thing to happen. Do you know what God promises to do for you? Is to give you his presence and his goodness. And to answer every question your heart needs to have answered. But not every single question your heart can muster. But God will answer the questions that your heart needs answered. It's why he gives you the scriptures. It's why he gives you the counsel of his people. God invites you to do this. To hope in what he's given you. To hope in him beyond your own fears. It's called faith. He deserves it. He's a king that that when we give our allegiance to, it's a hope that does not disappoint us. Look at different ways Adam and Eve's allegiance has shifted. First, They have an allegiance to the Lord in the garden. Everything's great, right? They're making, you know, raspberry jam or whatever they're doing before the fall. It's their garden. They can do whatever they want. They have peace with one another. They're looking out for each other. Then their allegiance shifts. They begin to trust the serpent. So they do what he says. And then once they get over that, they begin to trust themselves and start looking out for each other because they blame each other and throw each other under the bus. They try to change the story. They try to hide. Their allegiances are shifting, and it is leading them to chaos. I want to submit to you, if you feel completely adrift spiritually, put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in the one who's died and rose again, the one who was born, the one prophesied about for thousands of years, the one who has come to you this morning to say to you, I'm inviting you to come out of hiding to be reconciled to me. Eve hears the serpent. She considers his words, you'll not surely die. And she eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why does she do that? What's going on with that tree? Eve didn't learn what evil was when she ate the tree. She knew not to eat the tree, right? She's not supposed to eat from the tree. God said, don't do that. She already has a knowledge of what's good and evil. What's really going on here is with the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a tree that says by eating this, you are putting yourself in the place of God. It's, it's, the tr- it's the tree of the discerner of good and evil. You become the discerner of good and evil. So, if I tell you it is good for you to drink mercury, it's good for you. Drink mercury. You're going to drink it and realize I'm, a bad, I'm doing a bad job as a God. I'm actually not, I don't know what I'm talking about. You see, Eve puts herself in the place of saying, I know what's good for me. What's good for me is to eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. I am now the discerner of good and evil. I now know good and evil. The problem is she's horrible at it. She doesn't know enough good or evil. She doesn't know the real consequences of it. And so she's essentially becoming her own God in that moment. And God responds to her by wanting to bring her back into his presence. When Adam and Eve too choose to trust the words of the serpent and their own hearts instead of the words of the Lord, it brings sin and death into their world. How does God respond? Rather than shame shame, The Lord pursues Adam and Eve. Rather than shame them, he pursues them. Rather than abandon them, the Lord moves toward Adam and Eve in their sin. Rather than ignore them or be super passive-aggressive or whatever, he tries to develop a relationship and invites them to hope in the truth again. You've been hoping in false things. I want to invite you to hope in in who I am, in my promises, in the Christ child. Hope in this. He invites them again. Do you see that? It's very informative for us because the result of his inviting them in leads to them ultimately being able to be reconciled. Clay's going to preach over this next week, so I'm not going to get into it, but there's a whole bunch more to this story about how how God makes reconciliation possible. It's enough at this point to say that what God does is invite them into a relationship to bring peace, and when they do that, they are restored. They can hope again in who he is. A couple ideas just for you to take away this week. The first is, I want you to ask the question of yourself, where are you fractured? Emotionally, spiritually, where are you fractured? And then I want to encourage you to be brave enough to go to the Lord with it and say, I don't know how to ask you to heal me. I don't know exactly what to do, but you have a grace that is sufficient for me and your hope is lasting and I need you to minister to me. Teach me. Be enough for me this week. Give me knowledge Help me to hope in you. God answers the cries of his children. Where are you fractured this week? God has grace for you. Ask the question of yourself. This is the other question. Where are you fracturing other people? Where are you fracturing other people? I'm the first to tell you that I have to confess my sins to my kids if I am too impatient or I'm frustrated. Or maybe if you, know, if you, hang, out, if you hang out with me long enough, I'll get to apologize to you. I can promise God gives us grace by forgiving us so much he teaches us how to forgive others. Where are you fracturing others this week? Ask for God to make his hope so real for you this week that you begin to seek the good of those that are around you. Don't believe the lie that by hoping in something else, you'll find peace. Let me close with this story. Y'all know that game Minecraft? I don't play it. But a lot of people do because this dude sold it for 2.5 billion dollars. All right, that's that's quite a return on what he's done. All right, Scott um, Scott Sauls wrote this book called From Weakness to Strength. You should read it. I'd highly recommend it. But he talks about um, the creator of Minecraft, Mark Person, and um, anyway, he has two. He has like this dude has 2.5 billion dollars. He's got a 70 million dollar home. He hangs out with super cool people. He goes to amazing parties. He's got it all. Right. There's two tweets of his I want to read to you that Scott quotes. Mark tweeted this. First, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. Okay, I mean, I get that. But listen to this one. Sorry, this is why I always use my iPad. My wife has it in China. This is the the other uh, quote he has. Mark said this, hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and yet I've never felt more isolated. He's got everything materially you could ask for. It means nothing when he's laying in bed at night under his covers. It's not enough. Don't believe the lie that it is. Don't believe the serpent. Don't believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is better for you. God offers you powerful, redeeming, sufficient grace through his Lord, his son, Jesus Christ. This morning, you do not have to be in a place of wondering about if you're reconciled to God anymore. God offers grace through Christ. As we come to the Lord's table in a moment, it's an opportunity for us to profess what we believe, that during this season of Advent, we're excited that God's going to come again because he brings peace, peace that you don't know how to maybe even make sometimes. He brings hope that maybe you don't even know how to find sometimes. The point is to start by going to him for that hope. Let's pray together as we approach the table now. Father, we do come before you this morning and ask that you would give us hope. For some of us, maybe there's deep fractures in our own lives that we don't even know where to start. Lord, for those brothers and sisters, I would pray that this week they would start by coming to you and saying, Lord, make your hope real to me. Give me wisdom. Give me grace. Maybe, Father, there's great tension and difficulty between people in this room. There's fractures in marriages or in dads and, and children and moms and grandparents and every. Lord, would you bring your hope to those relationships that because you have forgiven us and you've reconciled us, that we can forgive one another and be reconciled to one another because of the hope of the world that is Jesus Christ? We ask all this in your name, Christ. Amen.